Scripture today from Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of, one of my heroes is a guy named Leslie Newbegin. And uh, in, your, in, your, in your bulletin, there's a, there's a sermon page uh, with some notes there so you can follow along. Just because there's a little bit of a list today I'm going to run through. But you can see a picture there of Leslie Newbegin. And Leslie Newbegin was a missionary. He was an English missionary to India. For context, a kind of a little time clue, he died in 1998. Okay, but what he, what he did was he, he went to the mission field. He left Christian England and went to India to tell people about Jesus. And then he retired from the mission field in 1974 and he came back to England and here's what he found. The mission field had beat him home. Like what he found was he had left a Christian England to go to the mission field and when he came home actually he his home was now a mission field not only were there immigrants there there were people from all over the world there but it was a, it was a culture then that was just largely not christian not actually very familiar with christianity and so Lubigan spent the rest of his of his life and his ministry really trying to write and think about what it means for uh, what it means to be a church in a mission world. It used to be that church did ministry. So all you did was open up a church, and you did your little church programs, and people would come to the church, and it was expected that you would go to church. It was called Christendom, everybody, where Christianity had the home field advantage. The assumption was that you went to church. The question just was, what church did you go to? Okay, that was the question. What, what church do you go to? Okay, but, but that's not the way it is anymore. Now, Christianity does not have the home field advantage. Nobody's rooting in this culture for our success. In fact, Christians are looked at as part of the problem. And religious institutions, they're not part of the answer. They're part of the problem. The end of Christendom. And what Newbigin understood was now churches have to be like missionaries. See, missionaries always did this. They always went to other cultures, had to learn the culture, had to speak the language. They were often funded by the churches. But, but now this is all different. Now we live in the mission field because we live in a post-Christendom world. And it's a post-modern world. It's a world that doesn't think like we used to think. Truth today is relative. In fact, people say, speak your own truth. We don't trust experts. Institutions are a source of the problem, not a source of hope. Today, to be a church, you have to be a missionary. The missions aren't done in the foreign land anymore. Missions are done at Jainal. Okay, missions are done at work. And so Newbegin spent a lot of his life sort of unpacking this, and, and I think it's just a huge question. Right? And, and so the, the big question is, how do we reach the West again? How do we help people find Jesus? How do, how do we help people find, how people find faith in this culture that is so really growingly, increasingly anti-Christian? 
How do we reach the West again? How do we become missionaries into this world? And once again, as we are thinking about the Celts this summer and our, our Celtic summer, I think the Celts have a lot to say about this and a lot to be able to teach us about this. Um, in fact, one of the first books I picked up uh, when I was thinking about preaching on the Celts uh, was, a, was a book about uh, the Celtic way of evangelism. The Celtic way of evangelism. And a lot of what I'm going to preach today talks, it comes right out of that book. See, the Romans, the Ro- when, when the church was predominantly Roman, it was the beginning of Christendom, they had no idea what to do with these crazy Celts. These Celts were wild. They had strange beliefs about spirits and uh, special uh, pathways to, the, to the, the spiritual world in this world. And uh, they often fought wars naked, and they were sort of barbaric, and they were very tribal. They often fought with each other. And so the, the Romans thought, these people are so pagan, we don't know what to do with them. See, Roman mission work involved trying to civilize people. Oh, you want to become Christian? Well, you better learn how to read first. And you better wear pants first. And you better not swear anymore. And you better do all... And so, so what, what the Roman idea was we had to civilize people. And for them, learning to behave and to learn their writing culture. And you had two options when you had an uncivilized culture then. One is you conquered them. Rome did this a lot. Just conquer them. Take them over. And then they have to become Roman. And then if they become Roman, then they can become Christian. Or the opposite is you just call the culture so pagan. It's so not civilized that you just give up on it. Like, ah, we can't reach this culture anymore. By the way, I I know a ton of churches that are doing both those things. I know a ton of Christians that their attitude towards the world is, it's terrible, it's awful, we got to just leave it alone and let Christ come back and we'll just wait it out. And I know a lot of Christians that are like, we got to go over and take this thing over. We got to get power so we can control this thing. But you know what happened to the, the, the Romans? They, they never really reached these Celtic people. Neither strategy actually works in reaching people. But there was this guy named St. Patrick. St. Patrick, he wasn't called saint at the time. He's called the Apostle to Ireland. And though the particulars of his life are sometimes difficult to parse out, we, we can make some pretty good assumptions about who the real Patrick was. <clears throat> he was w- born in Roman Britain. Okay, so it was born in Britain, but it was then controlled by the Romans. So he, he, he grew up mainly Roman. In probably more in like Scotland or Wales around the year 386. And at the age of 16, he was captured by Irish pirates. That's totally true. There's Irish pirates. And the Irish pirates took up, they used to take slaves back. And Patrick was one of these. So at the age of 16... Patrick was brought to Ireland. He was made a slave. Spent some of his time living with other slaves, but then also he spent a lot of his time in the fields taking care of animals. That was kind of the main thing that he did as a slave. Um, but, but somewhere along the way, the, the faith he had been exposed to as a child really became his. He started to grow in his faith, partly because of the beautiful uh, nature of being outside in Ireland. And uh, partially just God sort of grew that faith within him. And at one point he sort of had this dream that said, okay, it's time to go. And, and he had this vision of leaving 
and and he he followed this vision and after six years being a slave in Ireland he escaped and he got on a ship and he returned home and then we are a little unsure what he does from there some people put him going to like France or Gaul uh, other people uh, other traditions say <coughs> he went to Rome maybe all of the above maybe he did some traveling and he started to get trained as a priest okay and then he returned to Ireland somewhere in the 5th century. And what he did, everybody, was he led one of the most fruitful and successful missionary campaigns in the history of Christianity. Okay, it was really kind of crazy what Patrick was able to accomplish. Okay, he was, a, for 28 years then, a missionary to this barbaric people that no one had barely gotten any Christian foothold at all in their, in their midst. 28 years, we have evidence of, of at least 55 churches that were built in one province by, by Patrick and his team of people. Some have suggested that up to 700 churches were planted in, uh, across Ireland because of St. Patrick and his missionary team during his life, as well as something like 1,000 people being ordained as priests. Okay, of the 150 tribes of Celtic people in Ireland, we have evidence that 30 to 40, may, maybe as much as 50, maybe as many as a third of the tribes became not just a little bit Christian, but predominantly Christian. Now, what, why did Patrick have such success? Why did he, why did he have this success? And, and what can we learn from how Patrick had so much success as a missionary? Well, I've given you a little list here in your bulletin. I'm just going to run through them. And actually, a lot of the summer, rest of the summer, I'm going to be unpacking some of these. First of all, Patrick used a team. A lot like Paul. Actually, Patrick did a lot of stuff like Paul. Okay. Um, but, but Patrick put together a team. He put together a team of seminarians, other priests. He started with about a dozen people. Laymen and also lay women. Okay. This was pretty rare at the time. He, he, he brought women with him so that he wanted what he thought was <clears throat> I want my I want people to be able to speak to everybody in a village which means I need a bunch of different people to go with me I need educated people I need uneducated people I need men and I need women I need people who can go into courts of the rich and I also need people that can just talk to everybody on the streets and so he built this team of people next when they would go into a place uh, he would go to the head of the tribe. The, the Celts were very tribal, and the tribal leader was, was like the boss, almost like a mini king. <laughs> or if it wasn't a king or a, a chief, it would be more like a little council where there'd be five people that have a lot of the power. And what Patrick would do is he would go there first, and he'd actually ask permission, and he would try to convert them. And then if he couldn't convert them, he would at least ask permission to camp near the place so that he could share the gospel and he could also help out in the community. <clears throat> so he went to both the culture makers and leaders and also to the everyday folk and kind of worked both angles of the community. Next, he created Christian community. Part of what Patrick would do is not only would his team be this really tight-knit community, but they would eventually start a tight-knit community of Christians in the community, like almost monastic They'd a lot of times build like a chapel, and they'd almost all live there. They'd live by some sort of rule or some sort of uh, practices. But it was this very tight-knit community. 
And so the people would see this. They'd see this church. They'd see these people in the middle of town. And they'd be interested because it was so compelling. How come these people are so tight and share life so much together? I mean, I mean, I think he really understood what Jesus was talking about, being in the world but not of it. How do we be in the middle of the world but not of it? Or as my teacher Len Sweet adds, in the world but not of it but not out of it. We don't hide from the world. These communities wouldn't just be built like on the edge of town or in this pretty valley. No, they wanted to be right in the middle of town and build this deep community. Why? Because they wanted to care for people. The community wasn't cut off. Okay, it was the base for care. It was like a home base. This was like our base and we cared for people. And so the, the Celts, as they became Christians, would, <coughs> would look around and they'd see their neighbors struggling or they'd find somebody who was sick and they'd go pray with them. And somebody who didn't have food and they would try to hook them up with food with somebody else. Okay, the, the, the Christians became deeply involved in their community. They had their own community of Christians, but they were also deeply involved and caring. They mediated conflicts. There's even one story of Patrick blessing a river and praying over it so that people would catch more fish because it was a fishing community and they were struggling. They also worked for the common good. Okay, they didn't stop at the individual. They looked around and eat. This is in like the 4th, 5th century. They looked around and said, hey, who does not have a fair shot at life? Who's being oppressed? Where are there conflicts in the community? Where are there struggles? Okay, where is there something that we can do to help the economy here so that people can have work? They looked around and said, we're going to do something for the common good, not just counseling. Patrick fought for the rights of individuals to be free. Remember, he was a slave. Patrick, not a big fan of slavery. And so he really fought to end slavery in Ireland mediated disputes, built peace between tribes, promoted learning, and started actually a lot of schools where they found was one of the big problems was people couldn't read, they couldn't write, couldn't do math, and so a lot of their life was very limited. And so Patrick went out and helped care for the common good. They also contextualized the gospel. So they loved on the community, they loved on the people, and then they tried to communicate the gospel. Well, what, what is so cool about how the Celts did it was they were so creative with it. The one thing you probably know about St. Patrick, probably the one thing you know about St. Patrick, he has nothing to do with green beer, okay? The one thing you know about St. Patrick is the three-leaf clover, okay? The shamrock of him teaching the gospel, trying to teach the Trinity using a shamrock, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all being one. About any picture you've ever seen of Patrick, there's a three-leaf clover in the picture somewhere. Why? Because they used to do this all the time. I, I talked last week about Celtic crosses. They were taking a lot of pagan symbols, trying to help show people how those were Christian uh, symbols. They took play things like, I did a sermon on thin spaces, and the, the Celtic missionaries tried to teach the Celtic people how those were different because of our understanding of Christianity, but that actually they could keep their symbols. They were so creative in how they approached the gospel. Think about how creative, how not Roman this was. And they used to use art, they used to use parable, story, poetry, song, visual arts, drama. Patrick and his team were willing to do whatever it took to teach people the gospel. Now, I know that for some people, when we start talking about borrowing from our culture or speaking the language of the culture, there's like a nervousness that we get. The key, of course, is balance. Like one of the things interesting about Patrick is he also 
was going to critique the culture. Like he wasn't going to let them keep thinking what they thought about all these gods and all these spirits. Like he was going to correct the theology, but he was also so. There's this balance, both critiquing and appreciating the culture. I can't tell you how many Christians right now are getting this so wrong, where they're either just critiquing everything about the culture and they're burying their head in their sand and they're just they're just critiquing everything. Or they're just flat out accepting everything that culture is saying, everything that the world is saying, and not doing any critical thinking about what it's doing. See, Patrick and his team were able to do both. And when you do both, there's amazing things. And if, if you have trouble with this, I suggest you read about Paul in Athens in Acts 17, where he quotes Greek philosophers and uses one of their idols to an unknown God to teach them about Jesus. Or you could just read about anything Jesus ever said. Jesus was doing this all the time. What they did was they, by doing all this, deep community, caring, teaching the gospel in these different ways, using their culture to teach the gospel, what ended up happening was you had Christians with very deep faiths, theologically astute, caring, authentic, living these authentic spiritual life that would be attractive to people. One of the things that studies have shown, if you ask people who are not Christians what, why they're not a Christian, one of the big things that, you, that pops up is that they can't imagine what their life would be like as a Christian. They don't know. What would it be like as a Christian? Okay? If I was a lawyer, what would it look like to be a Christian lawyer? If I'm a parent, what would it look like to be a Christian parent? Actually, here's what I'll suggest to you. You're here right now today. Because somebody showed you what it looked like to be a Christian. Might have been your parents. Might have been your grandparents. Might have been a neighbor that took you to church. But somebody modeled and you got to say, Oh, if my life as a Jesus follower was going to happen, it would kind of look like that. Somebody modeled that for you. We are in a culture where a whole bunch of people that live in our own community have never seen this. They have never seen a Christian that lives this dynamic Christian life that is in any way attractive or they could see themselves doing. Patrick got people to live that kind of life. So the Celtic Christians, Celtic Christians became these amazing witnesses for Jesus. And, and, and this worked because they were authentically Celtic Christians. So if somebody did accept Jesus when the Romans were doing uh, missions what they would end up doing is converting to be like Romans. They would dress like Romans, they would act like Romans, they would talk like Romans. But what's the problem with that? Problem is you lose all credibility with your neighbors because you look like a sellout. And then over time you lose the ability to talk to your neighbors because you don't speak their language anymore, you've converted to being Roman. This is the problem with all colonial missionary work. If you gotta convert the people to your culture to convert them to Jesus, they lose out on their witness in their own community. Okay? But, but what Patrick did and what his team did is they made Christians that were authentically Celtic. They kept their faith. They lived in their communities. People got started to look up to them and their witness and, and be want something of the community and the people that they became. And then, and then this is amazing. You go back and read Celtic history, it's amazing then how many Celtic missionaries there are how many irish missionaries that go to scotland they go to all these different places 
Um, St. Columba was an Irish missionary to Scotland. There's another missionary called St. Brendan, Brendan the Navigator. There's a picture of his ship in your bulletin. I did that on purpose because uh, uh, just a couple months ago, we, we did a symbol in our church of a ship with a cross on it. It's on our communion table. It's probably inspired by St. Brendan the Navigator. Look at the, look at the cross. It's the same ship. It's the same cross. See, these, these Celtic Christians... They didn't just hang on to their faith. They became missionaries. So Patrick's team didn't have to do it all. They, those people became missionaries, and those people became missionaries. And I'm sharing with this all with you today because I think a lot of our world is a lot like the Celtic world. Okay, it's kind of pagan. It is not Christendom. A lot of us are not sure what to do with it. We're scared of it or angry with it. But we have, got to, we have got to, as a people, understand that Jesus called us to go into this world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are a great commissioned people. We are missionaries, everybody. And it is not enough to be church people, to, be, to be do ministry. Newbegin was right. Patrick was right. Can't just have a church, build it, and they'll come. It doesn't work anymore. We have got to be people who grow in our faith who grow in our community, who are different, who appreciate our culture, but also are willing to critique it. So what can we learn with Patrick? Well, we got to see ourselves as missionaries. we got to see ourselves as a team. You don't go out there by yourself. You go out there as a team. So we got to start working together in a different kind of way. We can't seek power and authority to reach this culture. Christianity plus power that's not Jesus doesn't work. You're not going to reach this culture with political power. You're never going to vote your way to getting this culture back. We have to stay humble. We have to build this kind of deep community. We have to care for people and work for the common good. We have to learn how to proclaim and talk about the Gospels today in ways that are true to Scripture and history, but also speak to our current world. Right? Not just your grandkids, my grandkids. i I got, I got to help create ways to talk about faith that my grandkids can understand okay we got to have uh we got to balance critiquing culture and appreciating it and we we have got to be the kind of christians that when jesus when people see us they in some way see jesus and they want to know what we have and why we're different it's where we got to be everybody and god is calling us there radically authentic to who we are and when we are, and where we are, and radically true to our call to be missionaries. May we take our calling as missionaries and this Celtic way of evangelism and mission, and may it inspire us to consider what Christ means to us and how we should live that out in our world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.